Welcome to the PT and OT Connection Podcast by Summit Professional Education, dedicated to helping PTs and OTs improve patient outcomes while earning continuing education credit. For information on earning CE credits for this podcast and satisfactory completion requirements for your state and profession, please go to summit-education.com or click the link of the course description in your podcast platform. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on what time you are listening to this podcast. Uh, My name is Dr. Andrew Morgan, physical therapist, and I am coming to you with uh, a targeted look at the mental health assessment items for Oasis E. Um, that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we're going to do a one hour, uh, uh, one hour deep dive into the Oasis E mental health items. So we'll be looking at the BIMS, the CAM and, uh, the PHQ two through nine, uh, as part of the, uh, cognitive and mental health screening. As I stated, my name is Dr. Andrew Morgan. I am a licensed physical therapist in Texas. Um, I have uh, over 20 years of clinical experience. I've been licensed since uh, 2002. Um, I am a uh, I hold a certificate of Oasis Specialist Clinical. I've held that since 2018, and I am currently. Uh, the alternate administrator and senior director for therapy services uh, with a home health agency based in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I have held a number of different positions, uh, but uh, most of my background is in home health. I am assuming that most of you that are tuning in to this podcast on um, Oasis E are probably similarly in a home health background, but if you're not, do not fear. There is a relevance uh, for uh, those of you that are in really any post-acute setting, uh, the LTAC, the SNF, the acute rehab, um, because we are going through some of these cognitive assessment items that if they're not, they will one day be part of your uh, comprehensive assessment. Uh, And don't worry if you are a PTA or CODA, this is also uh, good for you uh, to to know what your supervising therapist, some of the items that your supervising therapist uh, also has to review. Uh, This is a great course Um, if you have anything to do with uh, OASIS, whether direct through through direct data collection or through collaboration. So if you're a data collector, a qualified clinician, a PT, OT, or SLP, um, uh, but also if you're working with an agency that participates in collaboration, which all of you should be. Um, um, so we'll be uh, going into that. Um, Now, just relevant uh, disclosures that I need to make. Number one, financial, as I stated. Um, I do have a full-time job. Uh, I 
currently work as the uh, alternate administrator, director of therapy services with a home health agency. Uh, again, we're based in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I also am compensated by Summit as an instructor, and uh, I have some non-financial relationships. I am a member of the American Physical Therapy Association, Texas Physical Therapy Association, uh, as well as the APTA Home Health Section. Um, so we will be uh, examining OASIS data collection for the cognitive and mental health assessment items. And the goal is to be able to demonstrate proper coding for OASIS sections C and D items. So without further ado, let's begin by looking at the BIMS, the Brief Interview for Mental Status. Uh, now, first, a couple of just research things. Uh, since since this is uh, you know an evidence, we, we do try to look at the evidence. Um, important to understand that the DIMS the BIM, the DIM, the BIMS is a structured cognitive test. Uh, this is not something that's new. It's been around for uh, many years. Uh, it's been researched. Uh, so, what does the research actually say? about the BIMS? Well, uh, there's a couple of uh, researched items that I'll point out. You can find all the references in your, uh, re in, in your uh, course resources. Uh, you know, if you log on to your Summit account, you'll be able to find uh, the references. So you'll find a, 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 an article to, that, that, that's written by Marx. Uh, now, Marx is, I believe, a 2018 study. Uh, did find strong specificity but low sensitivity when it came to the BIMS. What does that mean? It means that the BIMS is good at ruling in those with cognitive deficiencies but not so good at ruling out. There is a known ceiling effect uh, for those that you know are really higher functioning um, cognitively. Uh, it doesn't do a good job at picking up, you know, some of the, the more mild dementia. Specifically, uh, Marx looked at several other tests and compared it. Um, the menu test, the mini cog, and MOCA all performed better than the BIMS. Uh, the Lee and his article, his group, confirmed the decreased sensitivity when it comes to older adults, but he was looking at LTACs and SNFs, where Marx was really looking at community-dwelling uh, older adults. So why is it that we have to do this test if there's other tests that perform better? Well, plain and simple, because CMS says so. CMS says that we have to um, uh, use the BIMS um, again, structured cognitive test. Uh, we should be attempting to do this with, with all patients. Uh, so it's required uh, following uh, some specific guidance from CMS. Number one, when at all possible, the testing should, prefer, uh, should occur in the patient's preferred language. Uh, you need to make sure that the patient can hear you well and that the patient has an ability to communicate. You're going to be asking the patient questions. The patient has to be able to respond. The patient also has to be able to hear you. That's not one of those things that I typically have a problem with when I'm working with patients. Uh, patients will tell me, 
I'm a little bit hard of hearing. I say, that's no problem. I'm loud of talking. Uh, you may be able to tell that. Uh, from uh, from from uh, my uh, my my radio voice here, uh, but you need to make sure the patient can hear you well, and that the patient does have the ability to communicate. If the patient is rarely or never understood, the assessment may not be able to be completed, and you would skip the items. You'd enter a dash and just skip the items. Uh, the testing can be performed in either a verbal or a written form, depending on uh, how your patient is best able to communicate. So we're going to get going into, you know, really looking at the BIMS. Uh, this is one of those formal OASIS training items. And, and I think this sort of training is very necessary for any of you that are doing any sort of OASIS data collection uh, and that, that includes, you know, not just our qualified clinicians out there, our PTs, OTs, and SLPs, but also those that are responsible, uh, you know, work with agencies that, that utilize collaboration, which is allowable if, you're, if your uh, agency has a policy. Why is that? Well, we know uh, through a number of re uh, published research studies that there is poor inter-rater reliability with OASIS. I can tell you I started my career back in 2002. I went right into home health when I graduated school. Uh, I can tell you I had I, I had a great mentorship program. I followed another uh, uh, another PT uh, for about six weeks before I was let out on my own. And really what that PT did, the PT did a great job of teaching me how to complete an OASIS. In other words, the technical process of going through doing a patient assessment. But what I never learned um, during that process was how does CMS want us to interpret these items? Uh, that's not even that was that that wasn't the PT's fault. That was you know the fact that that PT was most likely you know got to to the place of employment, you know, despite the the number of years uh, that that PT had been doing OASIS data collection, uh, probably had never received formal OASIS training. And this is the pro problem that I see with a lot of different home health agencies. You get somebody with a license and a pulse. Okay, great. Here's this 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 38 page assessment. Have fun filling it out. You know, just make sure you answer all the questions. So what do we do as clinicians? We rely on our clinical judgment. But if you don't know how CMS tells you to complete an OASIS, there's a very good chance you're going to complete it wrong because guess what? Lots of the guidance differs from what uh, what we were taught in therapy school, what, you know, there, there are probably no nurses out there listening, but what nurses were taught in nursing school. When you look at interdisciplinary inter-rater reliability, it gets even worse. While we're not going to go into all of these items, you know, um, I can tell you feeding and eating is, is the item that uh, shows the highest interdisciplinary inter-rater reliability, you know, so between therapy and nursing, uh, you know, you got about a 78% inter-rater reliability there. But something that seems as obvious as ambulation 
or toilet hygiene has about a 37% inter-rater reliability. Uh, and why is that? Because we're not all using the same methods for coding, uh, for coding our patients. We're relying on what we learned in school, and that is not what CMS tells us to do. And sometimes we're going to see this later on uh, when we when we get into to some of the specifics. You'll see that sometimes CMS actually changes guidance. So um, when, when we when we look at um, uh, the depression screening, the PHQ two to nine, you're going to see in many of your EMRs, uh, or if you're using paper based Oasis, what the what the actual paper says what the Oasis item says, well, guess what? Medicare has now changed how they want us to answer that question. So even what we have right in front of us, what it says differs from what CMS tells us to be looking at. So you'll hear me as we go through the course, I'll reference uh, the Medicare Q&As. Uh, these are our, our, uh, our question and answers that clinicians and administrators, home health professionals pose to CMS. And once a quarter, CMS actually publishes answers. They select some and, and they will publish those answers. And when, when they do that, you know, everybody really should be paying attention to those. If you're in home health at all, you should be paying attention to those because you may have been taught something one way and that was the correct guidance at the time, but then CMS has now changed it. And sometimes you'll see one Q&A, you know, I've seen this happen where, you know, 2015, a Q&A said one thing, and then 2019, CMS said the exact opposite. Um, you know, so then I can tell you a specific item, death at home, <laughs> once upon a time, if a patient made it to the emergency room, once the patient took, once the emergency room took possession of the patient, if the patient died in the ER, that was a transfer with discharge. Now it's a death at home. Uh, if a patient dies within 24 hours, it's considered a death at home, not a transfer. Uh, but that's a whole separate, uh, that, that, that'll be a separate podcast later on. All right, so let's get started. When do we when do we, when are we going to collect the BIMs? When should we be doing that? Really, it's anytime there's an actual clinical assessment. So think your start of care, that's your RFA1, uh, your research, your ROC, um, your other follow-up, uh, and your discharge. When don't we con conduct the BIMs? Well, it's when it's a non-clinical assessment. So think any form of transfer, your transfer without or with discharge, your RFA six or seven, and uh, your death at home would be non-clinical. Everything else is really considered a clinical assessment. Uh, so you're not gonna collect it with your transfers or with your death at home. The intent of the BIMS, uh, since we're going to look at that first, is to determine the patient's attention, orientation, ability to shift between things, and to register and recall information. So in order to maximize success for your patient, really what you have to be able to do, you got to begin with minimizing distractions. You know, since we're all therapists out here, uh, you know, when, when I, there's a course I teach on, you know, that, that involves balance. If I'm working on balance training with a patient, I want to maximize distractions. 
With the BIMs, you want to minimize the distractions, um, you know, because uh, we're, we're really this is a cognitive test. This isn't this isn't something you know that, that we're looking at for balance or you know something more physical. It's a cognitive test. So we need to conduct the interview, if at all possible, in a, in a private setting. And once again, be sure the patient can hear you. If, there's a, if it's necessary, utilize a, um, a, uh, a, an external hearing device if it's, if it's, if it's necessary. Um, if it's necessary, uh, we, we should definitely be minimizing any background noise and also sit so the sit so the patient can see your face. That patient may be reading lips. You're going to hear me uh, as I go through this uh, certain parts. It's going to sound like I'm reading a script. That's because I will be reading a script. Why am I doing that? Because this is the exact script that you'll be reading with your patients. Um, we don't deviate from this. If you're not doing point of care documentation, I'll tell you right now, there is no way you're going to be able to do something like the BIMS. Point of care documentation is absolutely essential uh, uh, for this. Um, so the very first thing you're going to do, you're going to give an introduction. I would like to ask you some questions. We ask everyone the same questions. This will help us provide you with better care. Some of the questions may seem very easy, while others may seem more difficult. Now, if the patient expresses any sort of concern, um, or if there's a family member there that's expressing concern that you're testing the memory, um, you're going to reply. We ask these questions of everyone so that we make sure that all of our care will meet your needs. Um, um, and, and it's important that, you know, what are the reasons you want to be, be in a private setting? You want to make sure that you're doing this one-on-one -on -one with the patient. If at all possible, you should be avoiding distractions from family members as well. And then you're going to go through items uh, C200 to C400, and it needs to be in one setting. Um, and don't worry, uh, not everybody uh, memorizes OASIS items, item numbers like I do. That's okay. We're going to be covering what C200 through 400 are. Um, but I'm just giving you the, the numbers here. You're going to do those in one setting. If the patient chooses not to answer an item, you accept their refusal, you move on to the next question. You code refusals as incorrect, no answer, or could not recall, not a dash. Um, you're coding um, any of these as zeros. Uh, you also code nonsensical responses as zeros. Responses that are unrelated, they're incomprehensible, they're incoherent. Uh, you're going to code those as zeros. Um, uh, what do I mean by answers that are unrelated? You ask the patient the day of the week and the patient says pencil. Okay, completely unrelated. Um, now, if it's related, you ask the patient the day of the week. Today for me, it's Wednesday and the patient says Monday. Okay, it's at least related. It's not incoherent. Um, the BIMS is going to be considered complete if the patient attempted and provided relevant answers to at least four questions in C200 through 400C. Um, again, relevant answers don't have to be correct. Okay, They just need to be related to the question that's asked. 
Uh, if you get to the question uh, C300, uh, C, where you're asking the day of the week, and everything so far has been nonsensical, at this point, you're going to stop the test, and the test will be considered incomplete. Um, um, so all other, all other, you know, that, 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 that's what we do. We stop the interview. The test is just considered incomplete. Uh, if the test is incomplete, you're going to code 99 in the summary score. You don't code a zero. If you code double zero, that's saying that there is a high, uh, that, that the patient has a significant, uh, memory deficit, um, so remember, we're going to code zero. You know, that's nonsensical answers. That's incorrect answers um, um, or uh, uh, questions the patient refuses to answer. Um, now, with incorrect answers, you may from time to time, and we'll look at some of these specifically, um, see that the patient may answer it incorrectly, but there's times when the item itself will say provide an alternative code. We'll get to those when we look at days, when we look at temporal orientation, the year, uh, the month, and the day of the week. Don't worry. Uh, but other than that, if it's incorrect, we're going to code a zero. But we'll go through the item by item. You're gonna you're gonna look at that um, um, as we go through. Uh, so if you if you you know you may be uh, in your car right now listening to this, but you could be at home. If you do have access to one, looking at an oasis uh, as you go through this is incredibly helpful. Um, but if not, don't worry. Um, uh, you know, hopefully this will still help with your memory. Uh, so we're going to code a zero if the interview should not be coded. This is for uh, for uh, C100. It's a very simple question. Should the BIMS be con uh, conducted? A zero is it should not. When are the cases that it should not be conducted? If the patient is rarely or never understood, if the patient can't respond uh, verbally or in writing, so there, there may be some sort of aphasia or dementia going on, or there is an interpreter that's needed but not available. We code a one, which is yes, we're gonna conduct it if the interview should be conducted. The patient is sometimes understood verbally or in writing. We've got an interpreter. Um, and so then uh, if we're going to, if we answer yes, then we're going to move down uh, to C200, the repetition of three words. A dash is, you basically tells Medicare didn't ask, didn't care. Uh, so we should, while a dash will be an acceptable response, CMS has stated that a dash is an answer that should rarely be used. Um, why is, uh, you know, why is this uh, orientation question important? We're going to look at the repetition of three words. Well, here's what we're, what, what, what we're, what we're screening for. Potential memory impairment, hearing impairment, la uh, language barrier, uh, but also if a patient is having difficulty with inattention, um, that could be a sign of delirium, it could be a, a sign of another uh, health issue. Um, you know, for example, a UTI uh, that, that's gone untreated, uh, dementia or cognitive deficits could be the sign that, that leads you to um, a, potential, a potential UTI. Um, so be aware of that. 
Now, we also have category uh, cues. I'm assuming uh, that the, the very few of you that have never done an Oasis E. Um, um, I'm recording this in May of 2023. So Oasis E has been here for now five months. Um, uh, remember uh, our three items, sock, something to wear, blue, a color, and bed, a piece of furniture. So those are our category cues. A, a phrase that puts a word in context to help, you know, with learning and serve as a hint if we need to uh, prompt the patient. So these are utilized uh, in the assessment for recall. Uh, so how does the the BIMS uh, how does the BIMS begin? Uh, we've already given the instruction. So uh, moving on, our next quote. I am going to say three words for you to remember. Please repeat the words after I have said all three. The words are sock, blue, and bed. Immediately after presenting the three words, you're going to say to the patient, now tell me the three words. After the patient's first attempt to repeat, if the patient correctly stated all three words, you say, that's right. The words are sock, something to wear, blue, a color, and bed, a piece of furniture. So we add in those category cues, uh, and we're going to remember those for later. Now, what happens if the patient uh, didn't repeat all three? Uh, sock, blue, and uh, television. Uh, television is sort of related. I mean, it's not really a piece of furniture, but it's sort of related. Well, we're going to, you know, say, okay, well, we got, you got two of the three, uh, but let me say the three words again. They are sock, something to wear, blue, a color, and bed, a piece of furniture. Now tell me the three words. Now, if the patient does not recall the three words, you can do the category cues and, and words again, um, but you're for this, for this response, for C200, you're only going to code the number of repeated words on the first attempt. You're not going to give them any credit for the second or third attempt. The words can be recalled in any order, any context. So if you say sock, blue, and bed, and the patient says bed, sock, and blue, you're still fine. The patient's fine. You don't have to, the patient does not have to do it in any specific order. Um, so when we code again, you're going to code the, the maximum number of words that the patient correctly repeated on the first attempt. So it's going to be really, you've got zero through three as your options. Zero, they got none. One, one was right. Two, two are right. Three, all three are right. A dash, again, valid response, but it tells Medicare didn't ask, didn't care. So let's avoid using a dash whenever possible. Um, and remember, this is only on the first attempt. Also, it is these specific three words. I do understand that it, you know, many of you have probably used the BIMs in the past, and you may have come up with your own three words. 
That is not how CMS has us doing it. We are supposed to use the three words that are provided by CMS. So quite literally, you are going to read off the script that, that is right there on your Oasis, um, exactly as I read it before. Um, a lack of temporal orientation. So now we're gonna move on. So you've done the repetition of three words and now we shift gears. So we're gonna do, uh, again, temporal orientation. We're looking at orientation to the year, to the month, and to the day. If a patient is lacking temporal orientation, um, it, it can lead to frustration, it can lead a patient to stop participating in activities that they normally would. Um, um, so, you know, we, we want to be able to identify that. It can cause confusion with us. I'm willing to bet that every single person on this call, if you are in home health, has had a situation where you arrived at a patient's home for a scheduled visit and the patient wasn't there. And then the patient calls you later and, oh my goodness, I forgot you were coming on Tuesday. Um, um, I, just, I didn't even realize that you said Tuesday. Uh, I didn't realize today was Tuesday. I'm so sorry uh, that I missed your visit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that, that every single one of us, uh, I know I've had that happen and I'm willing to bet that, that if you do home health, that has happened to you. And if it hasn't happened to you, consider yourself lucky. Uh, it probably will happen to you at some point. Um, but you know, that, that temporal orientation, that ability to see oneself, uh, in the correct time, uh, it, it's important, uh, for, for our patients. So, we're going to ask three different questions. They're going to be asked um, uh, separately. And with each question, you will allow up to 30 seconds for the patient to answer the question. Now, you're going to hear some dead air in just a moment. Don't shut it off. Now that right there was 10 seconds of dead air. You are instructed to give the patient up to 30 seconds to answer the question, okay? 30 seconds is a lot longer than you think it is. I just gave you a 10, 10 seconds of dead air so you could see what that feels like. Um, and it, 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 I think it is a lot longer than any of us think that it is. Um, now, if a patient asks for clues, we're not going to give any clues. Here's the quote that you tell them. I need to know if you can answer the question without any help from me. Uh, so... What are the, the three items? Once again, we're gonna be looking at, at year, month, and, and day. So the very first one, can you tell me what year it is? We're gonna to code to zero if the patient missed by five years or more, by greater than five years, or there is no answer. If a patient misses by two to five years, we code a one. If they miss by a year, we code a two. And if they get it correct, then it's a three. A dash is a valid item, uh, a valid response, but again, a dash should be a rare, uh, a rare answer. 
The next one, what month are we in? If the patient misses by greater than one month or there's no answer, we code a zero. If the patient misses by six days to one month, then we code a one. If the patient is accurate within five days, then we code a two. Uh, and what we're doing is we're counting the current day as day one for determining whether the response was accurate within five days or missed by six days to one month. Um, a dash is a valid response. Uh, so what, 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 what do I mean when, I, when I'm saying by, by uh, accurate within five versus missed by six days to one month? So let me give you the two different two different scenarios. So if the let's say the the current date uh, I'm recording this. What's today? I'm recording this on uh, May the sixteenth, and um, uh, well, actually that's a bad one. So I'm recording this on May the sixteenth, but let's just say uh, today was uh, May the first, and the patient told me it was April twenty eighth. Uh, well. I could say, you know, if I'm just answering this on my own, well, the patient missed it by, by a month because it's actually May and the patient said April. But really, that patient is accurate within five days uh, because the month just changed. Now, today being, uh, when I'm recording this, being May the 16th, if the patient said it was April, now the patient is missing by six days to one month. Uh, so that's that's what we're looking at. Um, uh, so uh, now the the last one here is what day of the week is today? This is a right or wrong. Uh, if they're correct, they get a one. If they're incorrect, they get a zero. And once again, the dash is is a valid response. Um, and when when we look at all three of these with a zero, if the patient chooses not to answer, if the answer is nonsensical, all of those are going to be uh, uh, times when we would use a, a uh, zero. So now we're going to do uh, patient's ability to recall. Um, and, and uh, you know, the rationale behind this is to see if, if you know, it, how, what we may need to modify as clinicians. Uh, this may help us, you know, with, with home exercise program adherence uh, by, by letting us know what it is that we might need to modify or what type of memory cues we might need to use in order to help the patient maximize his or her cognitive function. Uh, and also to decrease patient uh, frustration. So here's how, you, how, how this one's worded. Let's go back to an earlier question. What were those three words that I asked you to repeat? So now you're going to allow up to five seconds for spontaneous recall. For any word that is not correctly recalled after five seconds, you're going to provide the category Q. So just the other day, um, I had a patient that you know, said sock, bed, and cup. So could not remember blue. And I said, you got two of the three right. I said, the third one, it's a color. And she immediately said, oh, blue. So um, uh, when we went, when I went to actually score it, so for each one, I look at, okay, a zero could not recall. And there's, so you're going to answer each of these separately. 
Uh, a one was yes after cueing, and a two was yes with no cueing. So the patient got a two for uh, bed, a two for sock, and a one for blue. And a dash is a valid response, but should be minim minimally used. Um, uh, most of your EMRs will uh, will total the score for you. Um, not all of them will, but most of them will. Uh, the total score is going to be from double zero to 15 unless you had to code a 99. Um, uh, but for the most part, you're going to be looking at a zero to 15. Um, you know, again, unless the, the item itself was incomplete because the patient chose not to answer four or more items. Um, um, so uh, when, we, when we code a 99, that means unable to complete. Um, any of the any of the uh, any of the BIMS items that are coded with a dash would wind up falling there. Um, you know, remember a zero does not mean that the BIMS was incomplete. What a zero means is is a, a very low uh, cognitive, uh, so there's severe impairment. So what is it? What are the what are the breakdown here? So a zero to seven is severe impairment. Eight to twelve is moderate impairment, and thirteen to fifteen is cognitively intact. A ninety nine means that we did not complete the test for one reason or another. Um, Alrighty, so now we're gonna move on. We're gonna shift gears just a little bit. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna be continuing on uh, with our with our uh, mental health assessment, but we're gonna switch over here and start looking at signs and symptoms of delirium. So we're we're, we're this is coming from the CAM, um, um, and honestly, I don't remember what the CAM actually stands for. Uh, but that is another uh, standardized test. Uh, this is actually a copyrighted test, but CMS was able to get uh, copyright permission uh, to use this. Um, and it's going to consist of four specific elements. Number one is acute onset of mental status changes. Number two is inattention. Number three is disorganized thinking. And number four is altered levels of consciousness. Now, the intent of the item is to help identify any signs uh, or symptoms of acute mental status changes as compared to the patient's baseline. What does that mean? Hold your thought because oh, I, I, many of you are probably already asking that question to your that question to yourself. The first time I went through uh, Oasis E training, I was asking that question. Just hold the thought because there's a Q and A that's associated with that. Uh, but I want to get through the definitions, you know, and, and the intent before addressing uh, the the most recent Q and A on that particular item. So when we look at the definition of delirium, what is delirium? It's a, it's a mental disturbance 
um, um, that, that, that is going to be characterized by either uh, acutely worsening confusion, disordered expressions of thought, changes in levels of consciousness, um, and or hallucinations. It's We see delirium associated with increased mortality, uh, overall functional decline, uh, development or worsening of incontinence, which can potentially lead to UTIs and rehospitalization, behavior problems, uh, which could be associated with a UTI, uh, withdrawal from activities, and rehospitalizations, uh, slash increased length of home health stay. So these are all things that really, from a CMS standpoint, they equate to increased uh, financial output. In other words, they cost more money, um, if you like the way I worded that. Uh, so when we look at the signs and symptoms of delirium, it says that we're supposed to be comparing uh, with the baseline status. So there was a Q&A that said, well, what, what is the baseline status? Um, the answer that Medicare gave, number one, if you have a patient that is usually noisy or, or belligerent and um, that patient suddenly becomes quiet, lethargic, or inattentive, well, that would be that that could potentially be an acute mental status change. That's something differing from the ba baseline. A patient who's normally quiet and content suddenly becomes restless and noisy. A patient who is usually able to find their way around a living environment now all of a sudden is getting lost. Uh, those are all potential signs of delirium. So at start of care, we're really looking at the baseline compared to uh, the current illness or exacerbation. At discharge, we're going to compare the current mental status to um, uh, their baseline mental status, and that is defined as, and this again coming directly from the CMS Q&A, prior to the discharge assessment time period under consideration. So what is the discharge time period that's under consideration? Remember CMS collaboration rules, it's the date of discharge and the previous four days. Um, you can always um, use the, the date of discharge, compare that. If you did the start of care assessment, you know, you know what the patient was like uh, when you did the start of care. Is this completely different? Uh, again, the big thing that I point out that, that we as rehab professionals uh, may be catching are, are signs of, of a potential uh, UTI. Um, that's, that's where I see uh, this becoming very relevant uh, for us. Um, I've personally caught several of those. Uh, now, as we get into 1310, uh, again, signs of, of, of uh, signs and symptoms of, of delirium, there's two different things that we're going to look at. Or there's a couple of different things that we're going to look at. Um, um, we're looking at fluctuating behavior versus constant behavior. So um, the first item that we, that we look at is inattention. Uh, inattention is, is a reduced ability to maintain attention to external stimuli or, and or uh, a shift appropriately to new external stimuli. So in other words, the patient is just seeming out of touch with the environment. 
uh, dazed, fixated, uh, you know, changing attention, you know, <laughs> they're acting like a squirrel, um, you know, or a squirrel or a sloth. Um, now the, the, the important thing is if it's constant, that's okay. Constant is pretty, pretty clear, but what about fluctuating? So if we're looking at fluctuation, we're looking at the behavior that's going to come and go, um, um, and, or increase or decrease in severity. Um, so we could be interviewing the patient and, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, the patient goes off on some weird tangent. Um, it, th that's going to be behavior that fluctuates and then all of a sudden focuses back. So um, when we look at fluctuating behavior, that could be something that we directly observed. It could be reported by other staff. It could be reported by family or we may see that documented in the, the medical record. Um, so think of it this way, like if you're, if you're treating a patient, uh, for, you know, you've been working with a patient, you're doing a discharge and, and during your discharge assessment, I, wait, what's going on? The, I no, there, there's no, no, stop, stop saying that. There's no, there's no lasers. Nobody's shooting lasers at me. I no, there's no frogs jumping on the bed. Uh, everything's fine. Wait, what? Who? Sorry. What? What were you asking me? You see. So what I just did there, I trailed off in the middle, and all of a sudden, I'm talking to myself, uh, and then I refocus back in, and I'm able to jump right back in and start delivering the presentation. Imagine if that continued to happen here and there. You know, okay, well, you'd kind of be questioning um, my if I was having delirium. That's an example of behavior that's present um, but fluctuates. So it's coming and going. It's changing in severity. Um, you, again, you may directly observe it. You may see it. Um, um, or you may review medical record documentation. You may consult other people, other family members, caregivers, providers, other staff, other people that come in contact with the patient. Um, all of that could be relevant information, uh, but you have to use your clinical judgment to determine if that acute mental status is, has occurred. And you've got a choice, it's yes or no. So coda zero if it's no, coda one if it's yes. And a dash means didn't ask, didn't care. Um, so uh, from there, um, uh, once again, you document um, is, the behavior, uh, is the behavior present. Um, um, if it's not present, you coda zero. If it's present continuously, you coda one. If it's present and fluctuates, you code A2. Um, so we're, we're going to be looking at, 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 at you know, the, coding the attention is different from looking at levels of consciousness. Um, um, so, uh, you know, th these are, these are you know, a couple of different items that, that we're going through here. Uh, disorganized thinking is another one. So we, we, we talked about um, attention, uh, inattention. Uh, now we're going to look at disorganized thinking. Uh, this is rambling, irrelevant, incoherent speech. Again, is the behavior present or not? If it is present, is it continuous or does it fluctuate? If the code, if the if the there's the behavior is not present, we code a zero. If the behavior is present continuously, we code a one. If the uh, 
uh, behavior fluctuates, we code a two, and a dash is also a valid response. And then we're gonna look at altered levels of consciousness. I mentioned that a few, uh, a few moments ago. Um, what are the altered levels of consciousness? There's four of them, vigilant, lethargic, stupor, or comatose. Vigilant, someone who startles easily to any sound or touch. Now me, that's just kind of my baseline. My wife says that my spirit animal is a cat. I startle very easily. That's just, that's just how I am. Now that could also be a potential sign of somebody with PTSD. For me, I just startle easily. Uh, somebody could be lethargic, dozes off when you're asking questions, but may respond uh, to voice or touch. Um, a stupor, patient becomes difficult to arouse, keep aroused during the interview, maybe the patient's narcoleptic, um, and then comatose, can't be aroused despite uh, shading, shaking and shouting. Um, and if we're seeing any of those altered levels of consciousness, again, we're going to note, is the behavior present or not? If it is present, is it continuous or does it fluctuate? A zero, it's not present at all. A one, it's continuous. A two, it fluctuates. Um, all righty. So we've covered the BIMS. We've covered the CAM. Now we're going to get into um, uh, the final one here. We're going to be looking at um, our, our depression screening, uh, the patient mood interview. Now, it is very important to note here. You're going to hear me say this a couple of different times. The point of this item is not to diagnose. It is a screen. We're not physicians. We're not psychiatrists, we're not psychologists, we're therapists, we're a different type of therapist. We are looking for signs and symptoms associated with possible depression. We are not trying to diagnose. What we are trying to do is use a validated uh, screening tool to look for symptoms of depression. And then if we identify those, reporting our findings to the appropriate um, uh, medical professionals for, um, a, for uh, the, the necessary follow-up. Our goal is not to be the ones diagnosing. Again, that is, I, I can't overemphasize that. Since I've been doing OASIS training on OASIS E, I've had nurses, I've had therapists express concerns about doing this. Um, I look at this exactly like a fall risk screening, a timed up and go, a Tinetti. You know, do we use those? Yes. Do we identify patients that are at a high risk for falls? Yes. Do patients still fall despite our, our best intentions and our performing the timed up and go or whatever fall screening tool you're using? Yes, they still fall. Does that mean you're liable when they fall? Absolutely not. Um, maybe you have a situation where you're working with um, um, some sort of a, a, a managed care that's given you authorization to do an evaluation and make recommendations. You make your recommendations, but then you don't get continuation orders and the patient winds up having a fall. That's not your fault. You made the re appropriate recommendations 
Okay, you you did what was necessary on your side. Um, you can't control if you didn't get an order. When it comes to the depression screening, again, you're doing a screen. You're not trying to diagnose. What you're do, utilizing is a screen, and then you can make whatever recommendations you think are, are appropriate. Um, and maybe you're not even comfortable making recommendations, but you can still report your findings uh, to the patient's uh, uh, appropriate um, medical provider. So, you know, it, it is important to identify signs and symptoms of mood distress with our home health patients, especially since we've come out uh, as we're coming out of the, uh, the the global pandemic, the global health emergency. This is a really big thing. Certainly know that there, there, that, that we've seen lots of increase in, in depression and social isolation. Um, so we're going to utilize this PHQ-2 uh, and potentially the PHQ-2 through 9 to interview and once again screen the patient for potential signs of, of depression. Okay, so this is going to give us a standardized severity score and a rating uh, that will help us, uh, you know, help provide some sort of validated evidence uh, for signs of a, of a depressive disorder. So we're going to conduct the, 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 the uh, mood interview in a private setting. Um, once again, we're going to utilize the patient's preferred language. Uh, now, if you have an interpreter present, it is essential that the, that the interpreter not attempt to determine the intent behind what is being uh, translated. Um, it should not, they should not be trying to skew the outcome of the interview or the meaning or significance of a patient's response. They're just stating what the patient said, not the opinion, uh, not the interpreter's opinion um, or trying to, to interpret the intent behind what the patient is saying. So here's where we're gonna get right back to um, um, scripting that CMS has provided. Um, um, what you're gonna say to the patient is, I am going to ask you how often you have been bothered by a particular problem over the past two weeks. I will give you the choices uh, that you see on this card. Now I'm referencing uh, the cards um, in your course resources. Um, I have uh, provided some cue cards for both the BIMS and the PHQ two through nine. Um, so hop on there, you can print them out, you know, print them out nice and big so your patients can read them, especially those with low visual acuity. Um, the choices that you've got for, for these are zero to one days, so never or one day, two to six days defined as several, seven to 11, more than half, 12 to 14. And there is a very specific sequence that you must ask the questions in. You have to follow them in the exact order. Why is this? Because, um, you're going to ask the first two and the answers to the first two will determine if you move on to questions three through nine. So you have to do it in sequence. So you're going to ask the column one question. And then if the patient states, yes, I've been bothered by whatever the, whatever the symptom is, then you're going to ask, okay, how often? 
and that's when they'll provide you the, the number of days. If they haven't been bothered by it, you state no, and then you don't even worry about how often because they've already said, the patient has already said, I'm not bothered by it. And once again, the meaning has to be based off of the patient's own interpretation. The mood interview should be conducted with all patients, okay? Now, uh, or at least attempted to be conducted with all patients. Um, and that's specifically the PHQ-2. So um, the A and B, the first two questions. Now, the three through nine will be dependent on the answers to the first two. But at the bare minimum, the first two should be asked of all questions. Um, um, again, you may run into situations um, where the patient refuses or, you know, the patient's rarely understood, but it should at least be attempted. So the rule is to attempt it. The exception is um, 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 if the patient's rarely or never understood, um, a, a, a uh, interpreter is needed but not available, the patient's just asking uh, nonsensical, uh, answering nonsensically, so you, weren't, you attempted it, but you weren't, you weren't able to complete the interview. Um, um, but you're going to do, you want to do your best. It's not a trick question, hint, hint, on your quiz. Okay, it is not. Don't don't read more into it than than, than don't start over analyzing it. The the it should be attempted in all uh, for all uh, patients. Again, hint hint. Uh, but if you determine that you're not going to be able to do it, um, you're going to leave uh, columns. Um, uh, you're going to code columns um, one, A1 and B1 as nine. That means no response. You'll leave A2 and B2 blank. And that ends the PHQ interview. Um, now, what happens if you get a patient, you, you've asked a question, you, you ask that, that second question, how often the patient has felt down, depressed, or hopeless? And the patient says, yeah, I felt that, I don't know, for the last six or seven days. So, you know, your options are for a one, it's two to six days, or a two, seven to 11 days. You're going to go with the higher of the two. So if the patient says 11 or 12 days, you're going to say 12 days because, you know, it's 7 to 11 or 12 to 14. Um, so you'll, you'll go with the three. If the, if the patient says uh, six or seven, you're going to code a two, seven to 11. If the patient says one or two days, then you're going to code one to two. Um, which, or sorry, you're going to code a one, which is two to six days. Um, so you always go with the higher of the two. Um, you, you, you always go with the more severe of the two. So once again, only the top two, the PHQ two, have to be answered. Um, um, and if they're, uh, if uh, the A one and B one are coded as um, um, no. Um, um, then you're going to skip the rest of it, or maybe it's present, but columns A2 and B2 are both coded as a zero or one. Um, so in other words, yes, they've had it, but it's really, 
you know, it's really, you know, very rare, you know, so they're, they're saying it's, it, it's not that it's not, that, then we can, then we can skip the rest of the uh, PHQ uh, questions, the, the three through nine. Uh, when our, when we're looking for our patient response, our patients can respond verbally. They can utilize the cue cards, um, again, available in your resources. Uh, they can utilize the cue cards to answer. Um, um, and uh, if, you, if you think that a patient has misunderstood or misinterpreted, you can repeat a question. Um, and then you can also validate your understanding simply by asking the patient for a clarification. Um, if the patient is having a difficult time with some of the wording, maybe it's really, really long, um, um, then what you're going to do is, is you can simplify that. Now, there was uh, a question from the Q&As. Um, it's important to note that uh, the PHQ 2 to 9 did come from Pfizer. If, you're, if you've been familiar with it, uh, from before, uh, maybe you've used this in another setting or maybe used it in home health, maybe used it with your agency before. Um, um, it, it, there's times when you're reviewing it, um, if you look at how Pfizer gives the instructions to score, they don't really give a process for computing scores with missed items. I'm going to summarize the CMS answer to this because it's kind of complicated. Basically, they gave a whole multiplier. Um, I'm willing to bet that everybody on here is using some sort of an EMR. Your EMR already knows how to, how to calculate it. If you do have to calculate it on your own, um, um, I would just tell you, <laughs> you probably need to go check out the, the uh, second quarter, uh, April 2023 Q&As. Um, it's answer to question six. I don't want to read it here. You know, if the number of missing items in column two is equal to one, multiply the sum of the eight items in column two by nine eighths, which is 1.125. If it's if they're if if it's equal to two that are missed, it's it's complicated. Um, suffice it to say, CMS was granted permission from Pfizer to uh, modify this particular test um, in order to adjust for the fact that a patient can refuse uh, to to answer. Um, um, remember again um, that you're gonna see times that. The wording on the actual uh, Oasis, um, the way Oasis instructions conflicts with the most current Oasis e-guidance, you're always going to use the most current Oasis e-guidance. Um, um, so always use that because uh, that supersedes anything that's that anything else. The most current guidance always takes precedence. Um, that was another question that, that, that came in the, in the Q&As um, in the fourth quarter. That was question five from the fourth quarter Q&As. Uh, once again, I'm going to reemphasize this. I think I emphasized it the first go around. The total severity score is not diagnosing a mood disorder. Okay? It is not diagnosing a depression or any sort of a mood disorder. It is providing a standardized, validated score for any of us 
to communicate with the physician or mental health prof uh, professional uh, for appropriate follow-up. Um, that's what your response is. That, that's what your your responsibility is. Um, the total score is going to be anywhere between zero and twenty-seven, um, or a ninety-nine if symptom frequency is blank. It's not a double zero. Um, we use that ninety-nine. Zero to four indicates minimal depression. Five to nine is mild. Ten to fourteen is moderate. Fifteen to nineteen is moderately severe. Twenty to twenty-seven is severe, and a ninety-nine is that the item was skipped. So this is the end of our uh, uh, of our deep dive into uh, the um, Oasis E. Um, uh, 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 health health screening or mental health screening, uh, depression screening, uh, cognitive assessment items. Um, so I want to thank you uh, for um, uh, for for hanging with me through this podcast. Um, um, there is a quiz. Uh, if I remember correctly, you're gonna have to you'll have to log out, log back in if you've if you've done this like right from your um, right from your uh, uh, from your uh, summit account. You'll need to get into your summit account, and um, uh, you'll need to get back into your summit account and take the quiz, and then you should be able to uh, download uh, your uh, course completion certificate. So I want to thank everybody. Again, my name is Dr. Andrew Morgan. Uh, thank you all for hanging with me uh, during this particular, um, uh, this particular uh, presentation. Have a wonderful day um, and, and code on. Thank you for listening to the PT and OT Connection Podcast by Summit Professional Education. To view accreditation information for your state and profession and access completion requirements to receive a certificate for completing this course, please visit summit-education.com or click the link in the course description in your podcast platform.